Hi everyone, welcome to another Prog Report interview podcast. I'm really excited about the episode today. My guest not only has one album out with his band The Aristocrats called You Know What, and that band is on tour, but he also has an upcoming solo album called Scenes from the Flood, which we're going to talk about. I'm really pleased to welcome Brian Beller. Hi, how you doing? Perfect, man. Hey, pleasure to finally speak with you. I, you know, I've met you once in person many, many years ago. Uh, you guys did an Aristocrat set at a Vigier something at a like a oh wow at a, a at Nam at Nam yeah. And it was so. <laughs> I mean, I had known about the band, but I'd never seen you guys. And I remember, I'll never forget that because it was, it was, it, it was this big ballroom, and a bunch of us were just sitting on the floor. I don't know if you remember this, and you and you guys were playing, and it was the most incredible set anyone could ever see. And you're like, "How is this happening in this ballroom with, the, <laughs> with such a small audience, and no one knows what is going on?" It was amazing. Anyway, by the way, it was unbelievable. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, you just kind of have to keep showing up, and then hope that you know at some point someone will someone will catch on. And, yeah, right. And, and thankfully, they have, and we've been very we've been very fortunate in the end of the day. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you specifically, I want to start there because the success of uh, of this band uh, with you and Guthrie and Marco um, is pretty astonishing when you consider the type of music you guys do, playing, it looks like, all over the world to pretty uh, large crowds, putting out now your fourth album. Is this what you expected when it started? I would say that, you know, who knows why things catch on and why they don't, you yeah. know, when you start, of course you want to be successful. Of course you want people to, to, to listen to the music that you're making, but you just, you can't really think about it like that in the beginning. You just kind of have to put it out there. And, uh, for whatever reason, people seem to think that the combination of the three of us really is, is something special. And I know that sounds like a, a strange kind of humble brag and I hate to sound like that, but, uh, that's what people keep saying to us. Oh, the three of you, the three of you. And I think that a big part of it also is that, we were just, you know, Marco and I had played with a bunch of other people and we were having a great time doing stuff with uh, Greg Howe and Mike Keneally and a bunch of other different guitarists. And suddenly we threw Guthrie Govan in there and the thing was lightning. So I, yeah. I think that there's no way to know why chemistry works and why people translate that into like uh, something that eventually gets called, quote unquote, success. Uh, you just kind of have to go out there and do it and take what you get. You know, I think it, it's an interesting time in music when you consider how difficult it is for, for bands to sell records and, and how, you know, get on the radio now if you're a rock band and that kind of stuff. But what you guys are showing, and there's there's a, a few other bands that, that I know of that are instrumental that go out there and they play and they're excellent musicians. If, if there's a, there's an audience for this, then that's not seeming to go away, which is which is a great thing. Yeah, not only that, but I mean, you know, the internet and social media, you can really narrow cast to your audience. And, you know, some people, yeah, there's some disadvantages to the narrow casting of society in a way. But when it comes to music and the kind of music that you want to hear, we can go find our fans and they can come find us in a more efficient way than ever, really. And uh, it's one of those things that makes the aristocrats possible. I don't think that I think it would have been much more difficult for the aristocrats to happen maybe 20 or 30 years ago, ironically enough. Yeah, right. A major, maybe a major label sees what you guys are doing, tries to sign you, and then has no idea what to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So uh, I'm curious. So uh, a lot of questions. Um, I want to talk about your solo album as well, uh, Scenes Great. from the Flood, which, which comes out in September. Um, awesome. And uh, so the new Aristocrats album, You Know What, is is out now. When you guys get together the right, um, how does how does it work? And, you know, is it 
is it fair to say it's from jamming or do you guys get together when you when you do this stuff? No, actually, we write completely independently. Uh, we don't write together. We write three demos each for this for the album, which has nine songs. So we each contribute an equal amount of material and we're all capable of making our own demos. So then when the demo's done, we email it to the other guys and say, hey, I hope this works for you. And uh, and then we uh, of course, when we get together and we play it, then it becomes an aristocrat song once we give our you know uh, our the the flavor and the uh, spirit of what each of us brings to the table musically but in the beginning there is a demo and uh, interestingly enough if, you know on you know what on the deluxe edition all nine song demos are on there so you can hear what the songwriter's intention was when they were playing all the instruments or programming the drums or whatever oh that's and cool. then you can and then you can hear what it became when I we haven't got heard together that. in I a room check that out yeah that sounds yeah. interesting yeah when we get together in a room it becomes something else yeah, because the music sounds really organic and, and free-flowing when you listen to it. It sounds like you guys are just getting together and jamming, which is great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a testament to the recording, too. We, we were able to capture a more live-sounding album this right. time for whatever reason. And you never know. You go in a studio, you just don't know. So you do record this together, right? It doesn't, or You're not sending oh, tracks yeah. back and forth. That seems with no. this music, it would be kind of impossible. We don't do Dropbox albums. We just decided yeah. <laughs> from the beginning that we weren't going to do that. And, uh, you know, we get together in a room and we play it. Now, of course, you know, we're it's the typical thing where we will get together and we'll play and we'll try and get like a good band vibe and get the drum track really good, uh, you know. And then once we feel good about the drum track, then we go back and listen to the guitar and the bass and feel like, okay, well, was this all perfect? Probably not. And we'll go back and fix a few things. And, uh, and the next thing you know, you got a track. Yeah. The... The, the type of genres and, and risks that you guys take, you guys do every type of style, every every genre known to man you guys approach. You know, is it is it simply just something that comes out of thin air? You start playing some country thing or or do you te- are you test yourselves? Can I write something like this? You know, we're really writing for each other in a way. I mean, like we're, we're not trying to purposely be like, you know, can I write a tango in 17-8? You know, <laughs> it, it's it's more like, you know, what's the vibe? Is there a story around this? Is there an emotion I'm trying to convey? Uh, and, and that's where it comes from for me anyway. And I think it comes from that place for Marco and Guthrie as well. I mean, you know, for me, uh, D-grade fuck movie jam is a rollicking, you know, wild, you know, uh, a taking the piss out of a out of a certain kind of wah-wah drenched, you know, genre thing. And that's just a that's just a romp. But all said and done is a, is supposed to be an instrumental version of a Beatles pop song. And then the Ballad of Bonnie and Clyde is like one of those long form 70s progressive rock instrumentals. Uh, and that's just me. And the Bob, you know, all said and done is just supposed to be like a very kind of happy walk in the park kind of thing. Battle of Bonnie and Clyde is about all my instruments getting stolen and the and the real the desperate people who did it and what it was like to track them down and find them you know uh, you know it was a re- it's a really kind of dark noir desperate sounding song now that's just me Guthrie wrote Last Orders about you know closing time in a British pub uh, and it's so you know like end of the night smoky bar feeling. Uh, and then, you know, there's Terrible Lizard, which is about a dinosaur stomping through things. And then there's Spanish Eddie, which is just kind of like a, a, a flamenco, kind of taking the piss, kind of not, flamenco fusion thing. Uh, so, and then there's Marco's songs, where he's got Burial at Sea, where that tells the story right there, right? You know, that's a pretty dark thing. And that song is pretty dark and progressive. And uh, and then there's When We All Come Together, which is a big, you know, drinking in a bar song. Everybody kind of like raising their mugs and going, yeah, da, 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 da. it's a very traditional melody. 
And then he's got Spiritus Cactus, which is just completely <laughs> weird and unexplainable, unless you're Marco Miniman, because that's he writes stuff like that sometimes. Right. The titles, do they come sort of early on as you're setting the tone for what the song's going to be about, or, or just sort of later? Well, I think it's different for all of us. Uh, I know that I come up with the title first, and I try and write inside the context of the title. Uh, Guthrie doesn't always have a title for a song when he's writing it, but he knows what he wants it to feel like. And uh, I think Marco, it depends on the song. Yeah. I want to talk about the solo album, uh, which I've, I've just been getting to listen to these, these last few days. And it is insane. I mean, it's an <laughs> unbelievable record. And it's Thank amazing to say, like, The Aristocrats is already insane. And then you went in head and made this massive, epic, you know, I don't even know how to explain it. Um, it's, uh, I, I mean, talk about the, the desire to, to put this out, to make this. And, and, and why now? Why around the time of the Aristocrats album? You know, it's just, just sort of happenstance, sort of came about this way. The timing was definitely coincidental in terms of the co the coinciding of the releases together. So that was just an accident. Uh, but uh, because the Aristocrats album was something that was recorded in, went from first track recorded to final master in two months. Hmm. My album went from first idea conceived to final master in six years. All <laughs> right. So it's a different thing. Uh, and it's a different vibe. I mean, yes, you know, it's, we should it, say it's totally different. It's not like yeah. the aristocrats at all, really. Yeah, the aristocrats is, you know, the most important thing with the aristocrats is that we're there to have fun. We're there to, you know, play a lot of notes and, and, and you know, and play fun rock fusion. But in the end of the day, it's supposed to be, you know, leave you with a smile on your face and have a good time. You know, maybe there's a joke in there somewhere. Uh, and hopefully you remember some of the melodies, too. Scenes from the Flood is not about that at all. Uh, I hadn't written a, a solo album since 2008, so it had been 11 years since I'd gone into my own material, and everything I'd written had been for the aristocrats. There were some things that happened uh, in, in my own life and things that I observed of experiences that uh, uh, around 2013, I started hearing melodies for what eventually became The Storm and Volunteer State, two of this, the key songs on the album. And I realized that it was kind of coming from a bit of a, a, bit of a darker place. Uh, not, you know, like, you know, everything is all fucked up, but that, uh, you know, we have our hopes and aspirations, we have our intentionalities and then, you know, life happens. Uh, and you know, sometimes, you know, the strongest intentions crash on the beach of reality and, and, and then you have to adjust and you have to, uh, deal with the fallout from some of that stuff. And I think everybody goes through that sort of, uh, cycle in their lives, but then there's these moments when something really kind of significantly traumatic happens the things that happen only maybe once or twice or three times in your life and who you are when you walk into one of those things and who you are when you walk out of one of those things can usually is a little different you're still yourself but you're not yourself you changed a little bit and uh i wanted to write a record that explored that personal journey that everybody kind of goes on at some point where they have kind of a significant moment in their life. They're dealing with what they, what it is they want to achieve, you know, what it is they want to feel, the kind of thing that they want to have. And then, and then a bunch of life happens and then, uh, you know, you end up, you end up a little bit wiser, but maybe with a scar or two. So, uh, scenes from the flood is a double album. It's a concept album about that. It's about, uh, you know, about aspirations and disillusionment. And, uh, I felt like I had, 
finally something musically big enough to kind of fit into a context that big. So that's why it became a double album. I started hearing music in my head early on in 2013 and 14 while I'm on the road. And I started singing into my iPhone voice memo and making text notes. And over the next three years, the entire album filled itself into my, into my head, like song by song. I started writing down the song titles. I had the sequence. I was singing more melodies. And, and by the end of 2016, I kind of had the whole album in my head before I had ever done a demo, which was really, really weird. Uh, so in 2017, I finally took eight months and stayed off the road and did nothing but demo this album. And then uh, in early 2018, I had the whole demo album, 18 songs, 88 minutes. And I took great care to try and make sure that the interweaving melodies went from track to track, the things that really tie a concept album together. So it feels kind of thematic and cinematic. And then in 2018, I'm sitting there with 18 songs and I'm like, oh my God, who am I going to get to play all this stuff? Yeah, so you got a ton of guests. I mean, everybody that anybody is on this thing. I mean, talk about that. It, how did you decide who plays what or who did you call or how does it come together? Well, just starting with the drummers, you know, I knew that Joe Travers, who I've been playing with forever, was going to be a perfect guy for some of the straight ahead rock stuff uh, for like for Volunteer State. Uh, and uh, that's a very that's a very optimistic sounding song. The beginning of the record, the one that Joe Satriani is on. Uh, and then as advertised, which is a really kind of heavy, straight, dirty, you know, rock groove, lots of toms, uh, angles and exits, which is a slow, heavy ballad, Sweetwater, which is the album's closing ballad that has Guthrie Govan on it. There was some, there was some stuff that I knew Joe would be great for. And then there was a couple of progressive metal tunes. And I thought, well, it's gotta be Gene Hoagland. And I'd played with Gene in Death Clock, of course. So I wasn't like kind of going out trying to find big names and be like, oh, I'm going to have a record with all these names. These are just these are just the people that I was playing with over the last 10 years. So, so Gene plays on Gene Hoagland plays on two songs, the storm. And then this really brutal fast song called Steiner and ellipses. And I wanted a, a younger progressive hard rock metal guy drummer to do a couple things. And I found Ray Hearn from Haken. Uh, not that I found him. I mean, he's already in a big band uh, and Haken's great. Uh, and so he plays on this really epic song called World Class, which is nine minutes long. That's the one that John Petrucci is on. Man, that's all. We'll talk about that song because that is okay. killer. Unbelievable. Thank you. And then and, and then there was one other drummer named Nate Morton, who's a pop guy, he plays on American Idol and The Voice. And I got him for a dance track. So okay. it's like it's all over the place. <laughs> it's really everybody. Then, then the guitarists. I mean, like, I didn't know when I wrote Volunteer State that it was like I essentially wrote kind of a Joe Satriani song, but I did. I mean, it sounds like through my filter, it doesn't sound like like perfectly like a Joe song, but I heard it and I was like, if I don't ask Joe to do this, I'm committing some kind of musical crime. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I, I asked him to do it and thank God he said yes. Uh, Joe, uh, I knew for the solo in World Class that John Petrucci would kill that. And he was he was already recording the new Dream Theater album, so he was set up and ready to go. So we got the you know he was using the sound that he used on the Dream Theater album, which is great. Uh, and his guitar sound is so amazing. And, uh, and then there's, you know, Guthrie, I knew for the that ballad Sweetwater, it just has that kind of searing melancholy thing that he does so well. Uh, so we worked for a long time on getting that right on his part in Sweetwater, his solo that basically closes the album. Who else? Then there's Mike Keneally, who plays the fast, difficult riffing on Steiner and Ellipses and the acoustic guitars in Sweetwater. Neely Brosh, who's a young, phenomenal guitarist who played the melody on World Class, which is that really that kind of Eastern flavor, difficult nine minute song in the end of the of the album. So it's her and Petrucci on that track. Wow. 
And then, do you know who Mike Dawes is? Mike Dawes is like the next generation Tommy Emmanuel. And I mean, this guy has a YouTube and, and social media following that's like bigger than all of us. And, and a lot of our genre doesn't know who he is because we're older, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. But like he's 28, 29 years old and he is ridiculous. He, he's the most unbelievable acoustic guitar solo performer I've seen maybe ever. And, uh, and I knew that he would be great for the, uh, the solo piece, Lookout Mountain. Uh, and, and there's one other person who I want to mention who's very, very important to this record. And that's Janet Fetter. Janet Fetter is, you know, not a lot of people know who she is, but she's an extremely talented and unique, uh, eclectic uh, a musician. She plays prepared baritone acoustic guitar and electric guitar. Basically, she puts little implements on the strings, like split rings and 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 roach clips and other things, to make the to make the instrument resonate and make sounds that you would never normally hear. And that's just the beginning of the unique stuff that she does. And it was her album this close from 2015 that directly impacted the way that I was trying to craft this record, even though her record is incredibly spacious and open and ambient. And, you know, there are parts of my record that are like that, but not all of it. Somehow the feeling and sound of that record really inspired me. And so she's on one song with me. It's just the two of us where I play piano and she plays her prepared guitars. And that's the song, the flood. It's kind of an ambient piece. So, it was really about the people that I knew and the people that I, I was familiar with just thinking, okay, this person will be right for that. This person will be right for that. I mean, you know, the best people. So it's, <laughs> I mean, it really comes off sounding amazing. Uh, you know, and you can get the names that you just mentioned on, on something like this, which is, it's gonna, it, I think the result speaks for itself, but um, you, you know, it's funny because doing what I do, I get a lot of albums sent to me by a lot of different people. Uh, artists and publicists and things like that and sometimes you put some stuff on and you just got to get through as many albums as you you know you got to see what's out there yeah. and see what they send yeah. you I know and, and I like, used to do I used to do reviews for Bass Player Magazine and I know yeah so it's hard so, sometimes to sift through yeah. like all the stuff and then you so I, you know I put your album on and it's just sort of playing while I'm working and you just go wait a minute what the what the hell this is awesome <laughs> and you, just go, <laughs> you start what song is this and you start I, it really just it demanded my attention and it was just awesome just it's so surprising and great I, I, I have to tell you um so there's a couple of songs that just stood out really quick and among many that yeah. are that are great Bunkistan is that am I saying that right yes um, yes, who, yes. Tell, tell me about that one who plays on that, that that's one I that I loved right away. Okay, well, Bunkistan, uh, it's interesting you mentioned that because that is the, if people pre-order, that's the free instant gratification track. So I kind of made it like the alternative single on the album. But Bunkistan is, a, is, is, a, is one of the album's more positive songs. It's actually a love song for musicians. Uh, and, you know, Bunkistan is, refers to, you know, that place that you go at the end of the night when you're on tour uh, and you finish the show and you're rolling overnight to the next city and you're texting with your sweetheart, uh, you know, and, and a lot of musicians I know can relate to that whole feeling, you know. And so I don't, the, the name Bunkistan, I, I think uh, I can't remember who came up with it. Um, uh, but I mean, we just, as soon as it, 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 it just, the word showed up and I was like, oh, my God, I know what that is. And so uh, on that song, I played, believe it or not. I played the guitar on that song, which it was supposed to be just the demo, but we ended up, we ended up keeping it, uh, because it had a kind of a strange 
amateur kind of charm to it. So I played the guitars and the keyboards and the bass. Uh, Ray Hearn from Haken plays drums. And then there's a percussionist named Christopher Alice uh, who plays on it as well. Yeah. Um, another one, Angels and Exits. Um, that's you singing, I'm assuming? Yeah, it's actually called Angles and Exits. Angles and Exits, sorry. Yes. That is me singing, and that is actually a cover of a Janet Fetter song from the album that I mentioned earlier, This Close. That's a beautiful track, uh, really something. Thank you. You know, uh, when I heard that song on her album, I was just blown away, completely stunned at just how gorgeous that song was. Uh, but it didn't have that long uh, ending that's on the album, the one that builds and builds. It mm -hmm. just Her version just ended when the song ended. And I tacked on that big, long thing, and I, I, I begged her indulgence. I was like, do you mind if I do this to your song? And she was like, yes, it's okay, it's okay. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a big, long, heavy piece. Yeah, very good. And again, you mentioned it, but I, I just wanted to mention again, world class. The minute I heard that, I'm like, yeah, that's Petrucci, because I know right away what he sounds like. And, <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's really, it's like a dream theater, liquid tension experiment, instrumental like epic um what you know is that when you were writing that is that right away one that the demo was sort of like that or when you start working with you, you know you had the prog metal guys on this one right so it's Petrucci and hey and Ray Hearn when they take it did, does it evolve into the final version and it's maybe different than what you had well of course the solo is different and uh and and a lot of stuff does change but you know I I it's I'm this was there were a couple songs where the demo took a long time and the demo on this one took a month so I did nothing but work on this song for a month and uh, I knew that it was I did the demos in sequence of the album I wanted the feeling of going through the album you know so I wasn't jumping around and so this was near the end of the demo album the time I spent in alone for those eight months and I knew it was, you know, I knew there was, it was going to have to be like the, the song to end all songs. If it was going to be something that was going to be the climax of a, of a double concept album, essentially. And so I just did the best I could, you know, I mean, uh, I, I did have to hack out all those parts on the demo and my rhythm guitars are in there buried somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I, I knew I was going to need, uh, some really, really hot shot guitars to make it come alive. And Petrucci's solo is absolutely amazing. You're right. You hear him, you know, it's him immediately, but Neely Brosh, she's the one who took on the melody and, she, and, and that is a difficult melody yeah. and she just killed it. You know, she, I thought she did a wonderful work on that. And yeah, then let's talk amazing. about this, yeah. the sitar player. Uh, you know, I, I found Rishab scene online because he was a sitar player that was covering animals as leaders songs. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, wow, that's super cool. And so I reached out to him. We met him in Nepal when the aristocrats were on tour over there. And I asked him if he would be interested in doing this song. And so he, we exchanged files on that and, and he's wonderful. And then I don't want to forget Paul Cartwright, who's the violinist who basically turned himself into a gigantic string orchestra. he sent me 20 tracks of himself, you know, completely reproducing all of the, the, the synth keyboard string pads that were on the demo. Wow. So it really took a, a major, major effort to get the, and then Ray Hearn from Haken, of course, just killed on the drum track and his drum solo was amazing. His regular track is amazing. So, I mean, it's a, it's a crazy combination of people, yeah. crazy talent. And I'm so fortunate that they all spent the time to kind of get that one right, because that was a heavy lift that song. Yeah, listen, it's a it's a it's a masterpiece uh, at track album. The whole thing is uh, I can't I can't praise it enough. Um, oh. I want to ask you a little bit because I, I haven't spoken to you about uh, 
sort of a little bit about your background and uh, and uh, not to get too much into it because I'm sure there's a lot there. But I'm just curious, you know, you've been playing with Satch for a while. You, you've been playing with Mike Keneally for a long time. How did you end up meeting some of these guys along the way? What was the sort of first break that got you into, you know, playing with some of these guys? Well, it all goes back to Berklee College of Music in the early 90s. I was there and Joe Travers was there, a drummer. Uh, who went on to play with Zappa, play Zappa, and plays with me and Joe Satriani now. And he was a huge Zappa fan. He moved to Los Angeles, got the gig with Weasel Zappa, and then got me an audition a year later. And when I got that gig, I came out, and Mike Keneally was already in the band. So there it was. It was Joe Travers and Mike Keneally, and then being attached to the Zappa family name, which always comes with advantages for musicians, because uh, because Zappa. And, uh, and from there... You know, Steve I came to a show, and then I was did a couple recordings for him, and uh, it just all kind of went from there. But it took a while to develop because I didn't really know how to make a career of myself out of way, and I went broke in the late '90s and ended up getting a job at a bass amp company and working there for eight years, and you know, getting myself out of debt. I and uh, in the end, I was in the corporate boardroom, you know, uh, managing a, a a pretty significant division of a company. And suddenly in 2005, I kind of woke up and I was just like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> and so I started my whole career over in 2005. I was barely playing and I was 34 years old. And uh, I thought, this is crazy. Life is short. And, uh, and so I started over and ran my savings down to zero and was just about to have to make a difficult decision. And then I, I got the live touring gig with Steve Vai. And then right after that was Death Clock. Death Clock. I'll just. Uh, it's a. It's a. I'm trying to make this really short. It's based on a, a, a cartoon uh, called Metalocalypse that aired on the Adult Swim portion of Cartoon Network, and it was, the premise was that it was a death metal band that was the biggest band in the world. Like if like if a death metal band was the Beatles, and and it was basically a parody and a comedy about celebrity and metal and music, and and it became a hit. And then there were these animated characters, and there was a band that needed to go on the road. And play this music live in front of a video screen, and the, and the shows were really really well attended because I gotta check television. that out. That sounds awesome. Oh my <laughs> god! If you're, if, if you're a music <laughs> if you're a music fan, there are so many inside jokes, not just about metal, but about music that will just absolutely leave you in tears. Oh, the so guy cool. who created his name is Brendan Small, and he was a Berkeley student also, and he knew Mike Keneally, and that's how that started. So everything really goes back to Mike Keneally, who's an absolute <laughs> genius, yes. and is my dear friend. Uh, and then, uh, you know, a couple years later, uh, I was in the aristocrat, the aristocrat started in 2011 and then I started playing with Joe Satriani in 2013. So really my career, even though it seems like I've been doing stuff for a while, I really kind of came to it late in terms of being able to like make a living, uh, and make it all work. I was scraping for a while. So, you know, don't give up out there. Boys yeah, that's girls. right. Uh, well, this that's a great story, and and I'm and I'm glad it's all all worked out for you, man. You're certainly amazingly talented, and and all the guys that you play with are insane. And uh, just keep putting out this great music because we all love it. It's fantastic. Um, well, thank you for supporting this. I mean, like like you said, you know, when an album like Scenes from the Flood lands in the hands of a reviewer, I never really know what's going to happen. I used to review albums, like I said, and like you get the double album, and you're just like, oh my god, I have to listen to this whole thing. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, whenever someone takes the time to really go into it, I'm very, very grateful. So thank it's you so, for supporting yeah, this work. No, of course, and it's so great when it's good. That's the you know when you put something on and you don't you never know what to expect even from 
sometimes your favorite band you're hoping you know you don't you just don't yeah. know there's so much music out there and then when it's when it's great i mean listen i expected it to be good knowing what you do but it's uh, when it, when it's good it's always uh, awesome um well. So uh, anyway, well, let's just recap. You got the Aristocrats, uh, you know yep. what album out now. You guys are on tour. And we are on tour right now across North America. Excuse you're, me, across North America, and we'll be on tour in Europe later this year. Yeah, and uh, you're coming down to South Florida, which is where I am. I think in August. So I'll uh, I'll see yes. you guys out there. And uh, and then uh, scenes from the flood, the double concept album out September 13th. Yeah, um, and uh, that's available for pre-order now. If you go to my website, brianbeller.com, there's a store there, and and you get you get the free track right away, which is uh, which is called Bunkistan, which yeah, we were talking about there before. You go. And right. it's available on CD and vinyl. Let's not forget that. Yeah. So uh, the vinyl. So the yeah. Well, you should mention that the album has. So you wrote it in. It's it's in four parts, and then I guess each side of each vinyl is one of the parts that's how it's set up exactly because it was intended as a as a classic double album vinyl that was the way the work showed up for me in my head so even if you get if you get the double cd i still called it part one two three four yeah and uh and but there yeah i mean not everybody's into vinyl but if you are i think it's a really really cool experience and there's black vinyl and there's also colored purple vinyl very cool all right well thanks brian this is a pleasure man Good, uh, all the best to you and what you what you got going on Thank you so much for uh, the time, and I appreciate you spreading the word. Yeah, man. Well, thanks. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Brian for the interview. Please make sure to check out the Aristocrats on tour and pick up their new album, You Know What, available now. And his upcoming album, Scenes from the Flood, is available for pre-order. For upcoming news and interviews, please check theparkreport.com, follow us on Facebook, at The Park Report on Twitter and Instagram, or download the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or Podbean. You can also follow us on YouTube. We're going to close with a track off scenes from the flood. This is The Storm. Thanks. Thanks.